you like our owl? How many questions does it usually take to spot? I don't get it, Tyrell. How many questions? 20, 30, cross-referenced. Fiery the angels fell. Deep thunder rolled around their shores, burning with the fires of a hawk. Welcome to Shoal of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. Patrick Green. And Dan Ferlito. And today we have a very special episode in store. I'm going to hand it off to Patrick. It's a very spe- a very long-awaited, very special episode with somebody who many of you will remember from two years ago, the last time he was on. and uh, What? The last time we spoke, it was right at the beginning of this journey. And now here we are with, I don't know, something like 5,000 issues to talk about. We have multiple <laughs> series. We have so much that's happened. We have a world gone COVID. Uh, but David Leach is back here. The the senior ma- senior creative editor, I believe is your title, on the Blade Runner comics at Titan. Uh, he's made time for us today. And we are so welcome to have you back. So David, I want to toss it off to you and just ask, first off, How's life, especially how's the comic industry during the time of COVID? And what has this been like for you, this idea, this working on this, you know, ongoing material for a couple of years now since last we spoke? Well, first of all, hello, everybody. Nice to see you. Nice to finally see you. The last time we did this, uh, there weren't pictures. It was just um, just voices. So it's it's nice to put some faces to to voices. I say nice, but uh, <laughs> I don't know how much. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, many questions. So what was the next question? The next question was... Um, was it has it was it been like under covid well, yeah well you know the comic as somebody who has a lot of comic subscriptions a lot of things in my pull box i noticed that there have been you know big disruptions periodically through oh, yeah. this time of covid and it's yeah. been kind of a mess so as somebody who's really in the industry as you are what has that been like for you and, and how are things looking now as opposed to say this time last year well i think i think uh compared to this time last year we know what we're doing now i think uh initially when all the comic sh- uh, shop shut and uh diamond stopped distributing and all that it, it was certainly it gave it gave us it gave us time to sort of you know we carried on with blade runner so it gave us it gave us breathing space which was which is very useful but it was very strange um and also being you know being a bit same for you guys being in lockdown has, has been has been horrible i mean i know what it's like um I now know what it's like to be under house arrest, you know? I mean, the only difference is, is that you're stuck at home with your family. In my case, if I killed them all, which does seem like quite a good idea, <laughs> I'd probably end up <laughs> in prison, which I'm now used to. So, you know, it's not too bad. Uh, so I, I, was in a, I was in a weird position because uh, at the end of 2019, I ended up destroying one of my knees um, and ended up oh. spending 12 weeks at home uh, uh, with my leg in a rigid leg cast and i went back to work for one week <laughs> and then they announced the lockdown <laughs> so i already had 12 weeks worth of being stuck at home all this time so it, it was almost like a it was almost like a dry run for it so it's been it was very strange but 
yeah, it was all right. I mean, um, uh, yeah, we had we had a situation where, yeah, it was just very strange. I mean, it's like I think it's the same for everybody. Working from home is is a different sort of thing from from going, you know, from working in the office. Uh, I used to I used to cycle into into work, so I, I travelled into London and get on a bike and ride for for thirty minutes, and that was wonderful. That was my daily exercise. So I miss all that, uh, and it is strange to be working from home because there's no real disconnect between uh, the office and then suddenly working from home, you know, or being at home. So I, <laughs> for a while, I finish my work and then I put my coat on and I go for a walk for an hour and then come back because that's how long it used to take me to get home from working. So I'd actually, <laughs> I'd actually have that sort of thing where, okay, it's time to sort of try and put a definite break between your working day and your, and your home life. It's, it is, and it's different from, from I used to be a, a, a cartoonist and working from home then is different. When you've got your own studio to work in, it's completely different to when you're working in your company's office in your library that's a different thing altogether but you don't want to hear about all this you want to hear about Blade Runner don't you <laughs> <laughs> well it, it is it is I have to say it's bringing me back to those early days when you know I would get on the train I couldn't get on a train in the morning so I'd get dressed like I was and then I would walk to where the train station was and then I'd walk <laughs> back again um but with this the, so last time we spoke 2019 was just coming out. Yeah, it was the dawn of that era, and then during the time of COVID, not only did you manage to close that whole first chapter of the story, but you now have two other ongoing comic series running. You've won the Scribe Award. You've been getting all these sort of accolades. So, like, how has it been a challenge to keep this going during COVID, or has it sort of uh, has it worked itself out? Well, I mean, you've got to remember, I, I'm 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 probably the smallest cog in the machine, the Blade Runner machine. I mean, it's sort of. Uh, I'd like to take all the credit and say it's all down to me that it is such an amazing comic. But I think I, I probably owe some uh, small uh, small elements to the other guys who, who do all the hard work. I mean, it's uh, you know it's people like Johnson and Perkins and, and Mello and Fernando and Andres who do the hard work and Marco and Jim. You know, I mean, they're, they're the guys who what you know who are doing it. My job is 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 the fun part, to be honest. I mean, I get to I get to read the scripts when they come in. I get to. Um, you know, I get to look at the layouts and the pencils and the inks. I, I, I have the fun part. It's just my job is, is to make sure that everything keeps going, that, that we get the stuff in, we send it off, we get it back. You know, it's that sort of thing. It's keeping, it's keeping it moving. So it's, um, it's, it's, a very, it's a very challenging job because it, it, it's every single day. <laughs> Eight hours a day, every day, you know. And it's not just Blade Runner. I do other comics as well. So it's sort of, you've got to keep all of them going at the same time. So it's... Um, and that's that's what that's what I mean. It's, it's like when you finish an issue, you move on to the next issue. It's very hard to to actually look back at an issues, and and um, it's quite strange. Every now and again, I'll sit down and, and reread one of the graphic novels, and it might be the first time I've read it in in months because you don't read comics in the same way. When you're editing a comic, it's not like when you're reading a comic for pleasure. You know, when you're editing a comic, you're not really you're not really reading it for pleasure. So it's 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 a different it's a different thing. It's a different it's a different beast. I don't even know if I've answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you answered it just fine. My question uh, goes more towards story and where that comes from. In the beginning, we know Michael Green was a part of the the team. He was yeah. informing some of the stories. And now he's stepped into a more of a, he's more of a. Almost like a creative consultant. A consultant yeah, a creative role. Consultant. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so where, where are the stories coming from? I mean, I know who the writers are, but. Are they given autonomy to write these stories? Are there parameters from Alcon that are set? What can you guys, in terms of freedom, how free are you to tell whatever story you want to tell? Well, initially, when we started way back up for 2019, which was back in the year 2000 and 
19, funny enough, the same year that Blade Runner set. Uh, I mean, we had initial meetings where we discussed we discussed the um, the plans of what we wanted to do. And initially, you know, Green and Johnson had very set ideas that, that first of all, it didn't make, it's a phrase that, that uh, Green um, coined, which I thought was great. He didn't want to do a karaoke comic. It wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be fan service. And I, I think that's one of the strong things about the Blade Runner comic is it's not fan service. This isn't like, oh, look, there's Deckard or whatever. This is, these are new stories set in the Blade Runner universe that sort of have elements from the film. Uh, obviously, we're still focusing on, on, on the original film rather than Blade Runner 2049. So in, in that respect, the only, the only guidelines we had were there were certain elements we couldn't feature from the, from the original film just for copyright reasons. And so we had to be very careful about that. So there are obvious things like the Atari logo or the Pan Am logo or the Coca-Cola logo. We couldn't feature those. But beyond that, we, we, we could almost anything we wanted to within, within that world of Blade Runner, which, which made it a very exciting story. I've, I've always said that for me, the one thing I truly loved about the Blade, first Blade Runner movie was the fact that it was an incredibly small story, but in a massive world, you know, and that the story's outcome had no impact on that world. Now, for me and science fiction, I find that a fantastic idea because too often you have science fiction films that, that, that have humongous changes that the whole world will change. And I, I love the fact that science fiction can be small and personal. And I think that's what I find interesting about, about Blade Runner is that it's a tiny little story. And I think what's exciting about what we've been doing with the comics is that we've been, we've been keeping the stories personal, but we've been exploring the Blade Runner universe. So we've done things that hadn't been done before. We went off-world in, in, in the second arc. You know, we, took, we took Ash to the off-world colonies, or at least we glimpsed one of the off-world colonies. So we're starting to do stuff like that. And, and we're talking about other things that we can do within the Blade Runner universe, what other things haven't been done yet. So that I find very exciting. But in terms of, of, of guidelines, the guidelines were, were really quite open. Like I say, they were just things that we couldn't do. And as, as, we, as we developed working closely with Jeff Connor, at, at, uh, he's the publishing director at, um, at Alcom, we've, we've worked out... Um, We've worked out. We've worked out sort of like a, not not so much a structure, but the things that you know. What's what's wonderful is that we we have we have weekly calls where we, we just discuss Blade Runner, which is wonderful. We we all, last week we were just we were talking about um, the the animoids, the actual animals in Blade Runner. Are they real? Are they are they replicant animals? Are they robotic? You know, we had we had like a, a two hour conversation where we were just discussing that, which is which is for me glorious because it gets it gives you a chance to sort of explore the world of Blade Runner. So it's it sort of it's working out the things that, that, that we can tell or want to tell or discussing, because there are certain things that you can't do with Blade Runner. So, for example, we're not allowed, well, not so much we're not allowed to, but what, one, of the, one of the rules is that you can't explain how replicants are made. You, you, you know, that's one of the things that Ridley Scott did right from the beginning, which was, you know, you don't need to see the magic, you know. It's sort of, how, how do you make them? What are they made of? So we know certain things. We know for a fact that, that replicant organs aren't uh, compatible with human organs. So, you know, that, that's one of the things that, that we, we threw out in the beginning, which was the idea that you, you would harvest replicant organs. You can't do that, you know? So it's that sort of stuff. So in terms of, of what we can do, if we don't know, we have a conversation about it and we work it out ourselves, which is, which is quite exciting. The timing of this, Dan, I'll give it to you in one second, but the timing of this is crazy because we just did three episodes back to back about replicant production and about how one of the things that's fascinating about it is that we know so little for these very specific reasons. And so going through, you know, the books and the comics and the movies and trying to like look for clues into how they might be produced. So this is all like very front of mind for us. And I have to say the direction that 2029 is going in to me feels like it's it's I love it because it's somehow more mysterious and yet it feels like it, it might answer some things. So, yeah, it, this is very timely. Dan, go ahead. 
Oh, did you have something? David? No, I was. Just, I was just. All I was going to say was was that uh, if you're looking for answers, you won't find them because I I, I don't necessarily think that that having answers uh, helps anything. I don't think you know. For me, for me as as a science fiction fan, uh, one of the things I, I genuinely don't like in in science fiction movies, and it <laughs> sorry to say this about about Star Wars, is that we had the prequels, which which added nothing to it. I, I don't need to know that Darth Vader was a kid growing up who built C-3PO. It doesn't add anything to, to Darth Vader. Darth Vader is an incredible character. We don't really need to have his origin story. It doesn't make him any more interesting as a character. If anything, it lessens him. So I, I love the fact that, like I said, you know, Blade Runner for me is small stories in a big universe. You don't need to know all the minutiae about it. It's just, it's just get over yourselves. Not you guys. You guys are fine, but you know what I mean. It's just in general. It's like it's just sort of like this is this is the world of Blade Runner. You know, in this strange world, which is let's face it, now set in the past. I know we're slightly catching up. I mean, twenty twenty nine is finally in the future, but Blade Runner twenty nineteen came out <laughs> in the same year it was set. You know, it very quickly became. You know, it's now old. It's now it's now like old fashioned because it's set in the past, That's right, which I find glorious. The idea of doing science fiction set in the past, I, I think, is fantastic. So it's a weird world because you, you have it. You have a, a world which has no no uh, laptops, no flat screen TVs, no cell phones, yet it has interstellar. Uh, uh, <laughs> interstellar space travel you can build replicants which are organic which is phenomenal but you know it's a strange world and i find that and it's certainly not and i i genuinely this it's not cyberpunk blade runner is not cyberpunk it's something completely on it in its own and, and i often find it surprising when people talk about it being cyberpunk because it's like well it's not about augmentation it's not people with cybernetic uh, attachments it's it's ordinary human beings and it's replicants and everything's organic i find that exhilarating it's different it's it's um it, it it's very exciting yeah it's almost a little bit more like steampunk in a science fiction future where you're getting this combination of old school analog things and modern futuristic things that we don't really know the details yes. of and that mystery and that ambiguity is something i know that four of us certainly really love but most blade runner fans i think really appreciate that aspect of this world and this story <laughs> is that for every little tiny thing it might answer or even give you a potential answer, there's like 12 other questions. And every time you explore something further, you're still, we're, we're found, we find ourselves doing three episodes, finally talking about how replicants potentially could be made. And we usually don't try to define it or give answers We're we're asking, what are the possibilities here? What are the theories and what works and what doesn't? Um, but I find that in your medium and being able to explore this in a, in a comic story, is just amazing because you can put things on paper. Um, I don't want to jump too far ahead, um, but I did want to end up talking about oranges. We can get there when we get there. But just as a side note, I wanted to say that when I saw Nexus 5 in the story and come onto the screen, my mind was blown because I was <laughs> like, oh, wow, we've we mentioned this and we talked about what was the Nexus 5 like? The Nexus 6 seems like this huge step and this next thing that Tyrell's talking about. And so we sort of relied on other storylines, Alien Isolation, the video game that has androids in it, or the Alien Universe, or even Terminator in some of the descriptions of older models to think, yeah, what were these models like? Mm -hmm. And where was the line where they crossed over from artificial to more human? Mm -hmm. Possibly, we don't know. But we also love treading over that and, and, and talking about the possibilities there. So I really think that's incredible. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about... Um, 
So it sounds like you had a lot of freedom and mostly copyright was the issue. And the other things are sort of unwritten rules, what you're saying about, well, it's not that we're not allowed to talk about it, it's that we shouldn't talk well, about it. Or don't that, want to, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I think that that's important. It's Some things don't need to be said. Some things don't need to be sort of mm -hmm. talked about. It's sort of, that's it, yeah. Yeah, but I wanted to ask you more generally, if you could tell us a little bit, so I don't know anything about the process you guys go through. So could you give us a glimpse into being a fly in the wall on one of your like storyboard meetings or somewhere where once you're bringing in different artists and different people and you're sitting down and talking about this stuff and starting to put pen to paper, like, can you kind of give us a glimpse into what that process looks like? Well, you got to remember, so, so I've been handling Blade Runner now for two years and I'm now doing Blade Runner 2029 and Blade Runner Origins. And I might or might not be working on a couple of other Blade Runner related things, which I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> okay. So, so what happens is is that uh, I'm I'm I like I consider myself to be quite a hands off editor, and, and what I mean by that is that for me, I think most of my work, most of my job, takes place right at the beginning of a project. Okay, when you're finding the right teams, and that's that's paramount. I have to go out and find the right eyes, the the right writers, and the right artists. With the original Blade Runner. Uh, Alcon were keen for us to work with uh, with uh, with um, Mike and, and Michael, you know, for Johnston and Green. So th they came they came with the project, which which was which was great because obviously we had in Green someone who'd written Blade Runner twenty forty nine, you know. So that was very helpful. It, it was clear that, that both of them uh, were were huge Blade Runner fans. So they they normally uh, as an editor at Titan. Uh, what you do is you initially you write the outline and then you find a writer and that's your starting point. But that wasn't necessary with Johnson and Green because they already knew what they wanted to do. So that was quite exciting. And and right from the word go, the idea of having a female Blade Runner, I, I thought was fantastic. It, it just, it seemed like a no brainer. It, it was, you know, we, if you have another male, if you start off with a male Blade Runner, it's just Deckard again, you know, but having a female one, it, it, it seemed like a really clever and a great start. So, you sort of we left them to their own devices in that respect. You know, they knew what they wanted to do. Obviously, uh, initially they submitted the story outline, and we discussed the story outline. And there were elements that we couldn't do, and that got dropped. And it was mainly finding it was it, it was finding it comes down to the canon. What's canon? And what's not canon? So that that means Alcon has a big a big say in, in what's canon and what's not canon. So there were things that 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 were in the original outline that didn't end up in the finished comic. So. When it comes to the writers, that's it. You know, um, they go away, they write the script. They then submit the script. Uh, it's then set, then I read it, and then Al can read it, uh, and then you make notes. And so, as as an editor, I, there's things I go looking for. I don't necessarily want to uh, change dialogue. I don't think it's my job as an editor to change dialogue unless I think there's something glaring or something that just doesn't sit right. I, I I trust my writers to to know what they want to say with their characters. So I look for plot. I, I I'm 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 utterly story driven. I'm obsessed with story. I, I always I see story in everything. So if one of you pitch me an idea for a story, while you're pitching me your story, my brain's already rewriting or thinking of other things I could do with your story. It's, <laughs> it's something that I've, I've always done because I spent my whole life being obsessed with story. So that's what interests me because I think uh, I, I'm a, especially in comics, I'm, I'm a passionate believer that plot is everything. Plot is God, plot is king. Uh, whereas someone like Stephen King, for example, he doesn't, he thinks plot is actually the enemy of a writer. It's that a writer should write and it, it, it flows and comes organically. But that, that terrifies me because when I'm writing my own stuff, I can't even start until I know the last line, until I know what my character says on the very last page. I won't begin on page one. I need it. I need that. It might change, but I need to know how it ends. So I'm obsessed with that sort of stuff. Working with Johnson and Green, their story was wonderful. So nowadays we have we have uh, I have meetings with Johnson where uh, we have phone chats, uh, usually about 
we, we normally we email all the time, but we normally have a face-to-face -face, uh, at least once a month where we just talk about stuff and we go over plot. We did it uh, recently where we were looking at the uh, the end of the art that we're currently working on, you know, and we were discussing ideas and and uh, and and stuff like that. So I'm rambling, which is what something I always do. So when it comes to script, I'd like to leave my writers alone. I'll point out typos if I think if I think some. But see, that's the great thing. Sorry, that's the great thing about Johnson and Green. They're writing this beautifully sparse stuff. And, and the thing is that writing as sparsely as they do is a real skill. It's, it's like being able to, to, to get across that element of story and that depth with so few words is a real talent. And it's something that they, that they nail beautifully. So I don't want to add things to it because it's like, wow, that's lovely. You know, the fact is, it reminds me of Richard Stark, you know, the, the, the Parker books. Everything is part of the bone. There's, there's not an ounce of fat on, on their scripts. It's so crisp. It's, it's glorious. They, they turn in 22-page scripts, you know. I mean, like, old Marvel scripts could run for 30, 40 pages. They, these guys are turning out a 20-page script for 20-page comic. That's, that's, you know, that's good writing, uh, and I'm impressed. So once I've got writers on board, I like to leave them get on with it, you know. So that's what I do with Johnston Green. So my main my main task then becomes finding the right artist for it. Now I think I genuinely believe that I lucked out completely, not once but twice. We have Andreas, who on on, on 2019 and now 2029, he's just peerless. I mean, he every issue is better than the last issue. He's 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 like a machine. He just he just oh, I love watching his stuff come in. So he sends me what he does. I send him the script. Uh, he's Spanish, so his scripts are uh, translating to Spanish for him. Then he supplies layouts, and then we go through the layouts and and um, make sure that all the storytelling's there. You know, I mean, the layouts are lovely. I love I love all uh, thumbnails. You can call it thumbnails. I love those. I mean, for me. <laughs> a good comic you can read without words okay you can look at the pictures and the, and the story's told and you don't need a script you look at andrews and 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 um, fernando's work and these guys are beautiful storytellers and it's 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 one of the sort of things that i think is is becoming rarer in comics is that comic ch is changing comics are changing i feel it's quite rare to find artists who are, who are that good at storytelling and i think i think with those guys they just told stories they're brilliant so once again there's not a great deal <laughs> It's not a great deal I can do <laughs> because I found guys who are brilliant at what they do. And, and you know, I, I might make the odd suggestion, but beyond that, I don't want to because th this is their vision. They know what they're doing. So the funny thing is, is that, is that I always feel that you put all your effort into issue one. And then after that, it becomes easier and easier because these guys know what they're doing. I let them, I leave them to their own devices, um, which makes it sound like I do nothing, which isn't the case, but it's... <laughs> Sorry, I was just. What well, sounds? <laughs> it sounds like the great bulk of the work and your main talent is in picking the right people, which is huge. I think when we look at film and directors, that's a huge part of like the way Villeneuve does things <clears throat> is he picks the right people from the start and then has to not get very granular and get micromanaging yeah. people because he already picked great artists. Well, that, that, so that's that, great. Thank you. That's that's brilliant because because I even <laughs> mind what I wanted to say is that I I always say this, which is. If I've, if I've picked an artist and a writer, it's because I like their work. So I don't need to stamp all over their work because why am I using them? If I, if I change everything they're doing, they're, they're, I've done something wrong. I, I want these guys to, to have the freedom to do what they want to do because I trust them. And because um, also there comes, a, there comes a point. I mean, like Andres has been drawing now for, for what? Oh, gosh, what are we up to now? Up to, he's working on issue six. So that's 18 issues worth of, of nonstop comics. You know, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> so I'm happy to leave him to it. So the one thing I love doing is I love finding I love finding the right teams. I love going out and looking at artists and everything and putting them forward. I mean, that, that's a great skill. And then a lot of skills, so it's a great challenge. And then 
I've also been very lucky with like with like Marco Lesco, our, our colorist, who is just fantastic. I mean, bloody hell, he's sort of they all just seem so per such a perfect fit to this book. And one of the things I, I I've really got to stress about certainly about uh, Andreas and Fernando is that they draw buildings without without like you know so many buildings you look in comics and they're just 3D models that have been imported and there we are bang as, as a building. These guys aren't doing that. These guys and it was really important right at the beginning. We needed artists who could convey the city in a way that made the city a silent main character. And I think that's really important, you know, that they that they're, they're iconic, that they have a certain that the, that the architecture and the way the city feels feels unique, like the film did. I think that's really important. And then after that, it's just get on with it, guys. Here your deadlines. Wake me up when you're ready. <laughs> that was something question, that early on. So, so I got to say, Andres has completely blown me away this entire time. And in the early issues, I remember thinking and saying to to these guys, like, there's there's no way he can keep up that level of detail and not have like some kind of a substitute pop in every once in a while, or or repeat himself. But he's it's it's astonishing that now you know 18 issues into it, or the 14 or so, or 15 issues that I've read, um, that level of detail has only gone up. Like the the level of attention to production design has only yeah. increased and i'm just thinking in this in this recent 2029 issue that i was just looking at you know there's like a transit system in it that i've never seen before in you know anything they're sitting in this like little sort of street train right driving along the street with the stops being announced that's origin and i'm thinking that's played on origins oh, oh that is oh that is origins that's right it. that's not 2029 yeah yeah. I guess you are the creative editor, so you would. It's it's okay for you to correct me on that. You do have the authority. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was reading that. I was just thinking, like, for one thing, where did that? So I'm going to give you another kind of multi-part question. I'll try to make it simple. Just one thing is is like, for that particular idea, was that something that was just latent somewhere else in Blade Runner stuff or in Sid Mead's storyboard or uh, concept art or somewhere else? That's the first part of the question. And the second part of the question is, you know it sounds like they're writing very sparse scripts. And I know a lot of the time in comic scripts, they're, the part of why they go long is because a lot of the visual stuff is really, you know, hammered out for the artist to pick up on. So, you know, basically almost like a Hollywood storyboard where the camera's looking at this angle and you can see this amount of stuff in it. And this is, you know, there's trees and blah, 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 blah. So how much of it is left up to the artist in the creative process? And back to the first part of the question, how much of what the artists are using is stuff that's already floating around in Blade Runner? And how much of it is really just being generated month by month for these comics? So I think um, I think uh, in the in the scripts, I'm, I've got to remember, um, you were talking about Blade Runner Origins, I think that's issue two, isn't it? Which for me was like four months ago. So I find it hard to remember back to what the actual script said that I have to actually open the script and have a read of it. I think I think they tend to be, they're not, they tend to, the scripts tend to sort of describe, it's, it's very interesting because because uh, Johnson, not Johnson, um, Mellow Brown and Perkins come from, um, I mean, uh, Perkins obviously has, has got experience, so, you know, she's written, uh, Supergirl, Superwoman, Batwoman. She, you know, she, she's got she's got a lot of comics under her belt. Uh, but they also, the both of them come from uh, writing for TV. They write for TV shows, so their scripts have a. Uh, they tend to write about, and I think it's, it's. I find it interesting because it's not something that I do in my own scripts or what I read in other in other scripts. They tend to tend to talk about the emotions the characters are feeling. They, they're very interested in that. So you'll get a description of 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 how a character's eyes, the, the, the passion behind their eyes, that's what interests them. When it comes to things like like uh, the transit system, I, th I think in the script, it, it was literally that they're riding in a, in a, in a tram. You know, that, that was it. Because it's obviously, it's set in 2009, so they're talking about the, the tram system. But it, Fernando, who's, who's, it's so obvious that, that he loves Blade Runner, he took that and just, and just developed it. 
in terms of what we got from uh, from Sid Mead, um, the funny thing is, is that um, obviously we do the Sid Mead covers. Uh, now, some of that stuff came from came from two books that I have, which are the Blue Dolphin books and Blade Runner. So that there's the Blade Runner there's the Blade Runner storyboard book, and there's the Blade Runner landscape book, which is all the production designs. So I give those to to, to the to the uh, to the right to the artist just to sort of inspire them. And I know that that Andrews has recently been sort of dropping. Uh, homages to the actual film into it. There's that lovely sequence in, in one of the recent issues where where Ash is, is running across the the roofs of buses, and it's a, a direct homage to the Blade Runner 1982, which is wonderful. So I think any artist, and that's one of the things I think is very important. Any artist, um, both those guys, they were big Blade Runner fans, and I think that's important. You have to, if if I if I found an artist that I don't know what Blade Runner is, I, I would I would not I would just think, oh, you're not right for this project then, you know. Well, they they need to. It, it, it's going to be. I mean, Jesus. It should be part of. It should be part of every artist's DNA. It's a Blade Runner is 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 a seminal, pivotal film. It's sort of, you know, you, you can you can look at the history of science fiction movies, and at certain junctions along that history, there'll be films that change everything. That the, the the way that science fiction is made after that film is completely different. It all goes back to that last film, and Blade Runner is one of those absolute pivotal films that it changed the whole way we saw science fiction. And I think that you need to have that as an artist. You, you need to, working on Blade Runner. You need that same passion. You need you need to love that film, you know. Because there's nothing. Marco, my, my colorist, my God, he 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 made a whole color palette based on the color palettes in the movie. So that when we're discussing the coloring, he's saying, "Well, this color comes from the scene." He will actually show you the scenes where he's he's taking inspiration and actual color elements from the actual film. That's the, these guys. They love Blade Runner. I mean, there's Andreas. Andreas uh, studied uh, filmmaking at, uh, um, at university. You know, they all have this. They all have a cinematic background. They all have. They understand it, and I think that's what makes them good. Is that I have always believed that, that, that there's a long thing. That there's this sense that, that comics and movies are, are very similar. You know, in storyboards and comics. I don't necessarily think they are that similar. I think that, that I always talk to, to my artist about move the camera. You know, if the camera's in the right okay, try moving the camera around because I think that's important. But I think that, that telling stories in comics is different from a, from a storyboard because you can do things with a camera in comics you can't do in real life. Even with CGI, there are things that you can do in comics that, that, that make comics a unique thing in its own, in its own right. Uh, <laughs> I feel like once again I've I've stumbled off and and um, you found me rambling outside in, in my in my bathrobe and slippers. And you have to... <laughs> no, that's why you're here today. I mean, the bathrobe and slippers are fine if you want to change too. But but the but this is this is why we have you here today because we can talk from our perspective till the cows come home. But to get the perspective of somebody rambling from the inside out is just incredible. It's in, invaluable. Jamie, you were going to say something a, a, a moment ago. Sorry. Well, I had a question about origins and how you guys approached. You were talking about mystery and keeping the mystery and not answering every question, how replicants are made, things like that. And as you approach the, an origin story, um, how pensive or apprehensive were you about that? And part of that question comes from when it was announced, there were, uh, you know, the fan community has been really, really great. Like the, the comics seem to be well-loved. People are really yeah. enjoying what they're reading. But when an origin was announced, some people were like, oh, this could be dangerous. And I'm curious how you guys approach that with the same kind of sacred uh, respect that you have for the IP in general. Uh, I can't, I, this is a hard one to answer, to be honest, because it, it sort of, it, it all happened, it all 
it happened organically. It, it, it came out of a conversation. When, when we talked about, let's do another Blade Runner comic, and we were throwing ideas about, you know, what, what could we do with this, you know? And, and, and it all came out about, when do you set it? And so we discussed, so there were loads of ideas that we discussed, and one of, the, one of the ideas that came up was, what about a story about the first Blade Runner, you know? The, who was the first Blade Runner? And I think it all sprang from that, that one question, who was the first Blade Runner? And I think because, um, you know, Johnson, Johnson wanted to bring in Perkins and Perkins came in with with, with Mello um, because uh, they wanted to bring uh, they wanted to bring their own experiences into the comic. And I thought that that was incredible. But it, it started from it, it just started from that idea, which is, you know, what about the first Blade Runner? So it wasn't yes, it, it was it was almost I know I talked to anyone about I don't like I don't like the origin stories of characters. But the, the origin story of a department feels different, you know? And I think mm -hmm. I think one of the things about it was is is it's not like, oh, we're gonna do an episode where where our blade runner gets the blaster and then we find out how the blaster's made, you know. That I don't care about that. I mean, I think there's a story to be told about a blaster, but we don't need to know the origin story of the blaster. But the idea that we we that, that we explore because we know we know that we got Nexus sixes, okay? So there must have been a Nexus five, as you guys pointed out, then a four, then a three, then a two, then a one. Now that is interesting, you know. Finding out, finding out um, about the first Nexus. Well, obviously, we don't need to because the first, the first up to about three, they're all pretty boring and a bit sort of, uh, you know, not worth talking about. It's when they start seem to get their personalities. It's four onwards where they become interesting. So I think once you start looking at that, like I said, the Blade Runner universe. If you if you start picking at it with a pin, you suddenly realise just how big it is, and that that's that's what's it's like. Wow, we can do so much with it. So. I, I don't really have a, a, a concrete answer for you because it literally came organically. It, it, it sprung from the, that one question, who was the first Blade Runner? And it sprung from that. And, and, and in the initial script, uh, the first there was a couple of drafts of, of the first script. Um, he, his, his character changed. And, and weirdly enough, his character was defined by actual elements that were happening in the world that were happening in America at the time. And that changed the story that we wanted to tell. And that, that became fascinating, is, is that um, the story changed and, and his motivation changed, uh, Cal's motivation changed. And I found that really interesting. And then, and then what, what, uh, what Mello and Perkins did with, with, uh, with Cal and, and, and the, they, they wanted, they, there were things that they wanted to talk about using Blade Runner. You know, using sort of uh, the coat hanger, they wanted to put a coat on it, and I found that fascinating. So, uh, once again, it, it was it was having faith in our writers and trusting them. You know, and 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 that's a scary thing because because you sort of you, you hold your breath and you, and you you hope that everything's going to work out and you hope that the fans like it. And we've been really lucky that that the fans seem to really like what we're doing. And I I think that's down yet again it's down to the strength of the writing. I think those guys deserve a big round of applause, really. Definitely. I, I had uh, two more quick things about the art that I wanted to ask yes. you. Um, one, you were talking about the difference between storyboards and comics and why you feel that comics are their own thing, which I definitely agree. And I was wondering what you call, uh, Pat, Patrick might even know this, but we were noticing the other day that in 20, I think in 2029, um, when it's a scene in the police station and one of the detectives is telling him, Oh, your witness left or he's looking for his witness. That's origins. That's origins. Yeah. I'm sorry. That is origins. Sorry. But she, but uh, the detective stands up and her head goes through another panel and yeah. crosses over kind of like breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. You would call that in cinema, but I don't know what you call that in comics. I love it. And I think that's a really cool touch, but, uh, and something that you can really only do in a comic book. Absolutely. But I was wondering, 
Well, I, I, I love the fact that you like that. It's, it's one of the things that I think is, is great about comics is that you can you can play with your panel borders. There, there are some great, great cartoonists over the years who, who have done that. I mean, like uh, Will Eisner was someone who constantly played with the whole form of comics, you know. And, and I think I think I think there's also something there's something about breaking breaking through a panel like that, because you can use that as a device to 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 move the story onto the next panel or move to the next scene. You know, but also there is a sense is that sometimes if you if you cut a character by a panel, you you cut their energy. You know, you want to mm. sometimes you want you want to get the full figure. And also when you're drawing away, you might realize, oh shit, I can't fit him all in. I'm gonna I can't <laughs> want to redraw this panel. I think I'll just stick him over the top. Uh, I that's what I think. I see. I, I think comics should be like that. I think comics should be that you <laughs> they should be fun. They should be they're, they're not. They shouldn't be po-faced and serious. They should be. This is comics, you know. They should be wacky. I can understand why things, let's say, like like Watchmen, uh, sticks to a very rigid nine-panel uh, page, and, and I think that's glorious. It worked so so well with uh, with the Watchmen, and I think Dave Gibbons, you know, he, he, it was beautiful the way that they did that. And I think I think rigid panels can work, but I also think I think you can go too far. I think there's some some comics where you'll have what I call like a jigsaw page, where every panel's different and everything's to bleed. I, I, I love having panel borders. I love having gutters. I love all that. I, I don't mind bleeds, but I like, me personally, I like my artwork to be sort of in a panel. And so if a character breaks out of a panel, I think that's, that's terrific. Mm-hmm. Or likewise, another moment in that, I think it's the same issue of Origins, where the, a spinner gets attacked. I won't get into details on that. And the entire page, all the panels shift yeah. leeward oh, along with the yeah. spinner as it's yeah, yeah, yeah. that was cool yeah and those moments for people who read comics we just we love things like that because it makes it come alive and likewise when multiple panels are dedicated to a single artistic subject but it breaks it up so that you're staring at discrete mm-hmm. parts of that one picture you know there's, yeah. yeah there's a lot of great great stuff oh yeah there. there's things you can do in comics which, which is tricky like you say you, you can't do i think the nearest nearest film i ever saw that, that, that really tried to capture a comic as a movie was uh, the first talk film where they did those quite incredible um, transitions. Yeah, the Ang Lee. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, which is about the only decent thing in that film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. If you're not taking advantage of the specific things that are available in the medium that you're working in, you're kind of not using the medium to its full effect. You know, writing, cinema, comics, these are all different things. Yeah. So it's really cool to see it used to full effect. Uh, one last question for you from me, David, uh, yeah. about the art is... Um, Origins has such a distinctly different artistic feel. I mean, you walk into it. First of all, it has a flashback to 2007, which again is sort of a <laughs> even even more enhanced, interesting look into the past. That's a prequel, but it's in the future, and but we're way in the future of that. So I thought it was really cool to see that on on the page. Yeah. But also, there's no denying that um, while 2019 and 2029, the art being amazing, it's sort of um, lines up more distinct or more clearly with the film like it really reminds me of the first film and i feel like it's the film in comic form but not the way marvel did it years ago and it's not derivative it's its own thing it's original origins steps into a whole other field when it comes to the art first of all that that preamble uh story is totally different than a setting we haven't seen with characters we haven't seen but even when they come back into la and you sort of see that big panel on the left with the yeah. spinner coming in and the sunlight. It's so it's, it almost looks like watercolor and it's just such a different style. 
was that a hundred percent just what the artist first returned? Did you guys have no idea it was going to be like that? Or did he have some guidance on, okay, we want to make a, a graphical shift and make this totally different from 2029. Cause that just smacked me in the face in the best kind of way. When I first opened the pages of, uh, of origins, it was so cool and so different. I'm curious about how that came about. Well, uh, what, one of the, one of the things he talked about was obviously that we talked about, the the elements of technology what was technology like in 2009 so were there spinners were they were, had the off-world colony started yet we, we discussed all that sort of stuff we went into detail one of the things that we realized was that that whereas in 2019 and 29 there's less people on the earth and also the world is is a bit more you know um i was about to swear there but i won't for your careful <laughs> listeners uh, a little bit more messed up uh, as it goes on back in 2009 the weather hasn't quite hasn't quite ruined everything yet so we, we don't have the constant rain that we have in in blade on the 2019 still 10 years away from that i, I think uh, the thing we talked about was that the city wasn't as um i mean it's quite built up but it, it the idea was that technology wasn't as advanced as it was in 2019 so that was it but in terms of andres's not andres fernando's art uh, you know like i said before um I, i'd seen his work he, he'd done an extraordinary book called smart girl um which uh titan going to be publishing uh, and I saw that, and and when I when I first saw that, it was like this is Blade Runner. You know, he just seemed to get it completely. He got the idea of a, of a of a city slowly decaying, but he just got it. But what he's brought to was surprising. Was he's brought this 1920s feel to it, the 1920s, 1930s. You know, in the factions and that sort of stuff, which I wasn't mm -hmm. expecting. And I think that's lovely. But once again, we sort of said to him, you know, uh, yeah, show the technology as it is in the film, but just just try and downplay it a bit. Don't you know? It's not not everything's flying. There's there's Okay, there might be some spinners, but they're not as 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 obvious as they are in 2029. They are 2019. So it, it was just it's less slightly less uh, slightly less developed, um, and that was it. <laughs> and because I'd seen Smart Girl, I just trusted him, and 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 uh, it was great. I mean, if we'd had issues, we would have changed. We would have changed stuff. But the the first thing he did for us was that that double page spread of the city. And, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Fernando uses a lot of uh, a lot of grey wash, which makes the colourist job um, very easy. You know, the, the, because the grey wash um, gives you tone, gives you shading, and all that. That opening spread just blew me away. It was it was it was just so impressive. It was it was so elegant. It was like wow. And and that's the thing when you see when you, and same thing for Andrews as well. When you see their first few pages come in, you, you you just know that they've got it, that they trust it. So you let them go on with it. You, you don't need to interfere because. They get it and and that that's it you know so it, it's just you leave them to their own devices you have to you've got to trust them because they're they're the visualizers they're they're the ones that that, that you know that, that every now and again you, you might see something you might go that's not quite working can you but you see that in the layouts and you sort of uh or the thumbnails and you sort of go well no can you can you tweak that but on the whole you just leave them to it, it you, you've got to you've got to trust them you got to you got to trust them guys you gotta trust them <laughs> And it's a, a real tribute to Marco Lesko, who's coloring both of these series at the same time, that the artwork feels, you know, I mean, it feels unified, but it feels unique to each title. And that's that's one person coloring both simultaneously, yeah. which is, yeah, pretty awesome. And he's about to start coloring the uh, free comic book day. Oh, I was going to actually, one of my questions for you is, are you doing that again this year? Oh, yeah. And I guess that's a yes. Oh, oh that's yeah. great. Yeah. Cool. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's Blade Runner 2029 and Blade Runner Origins. Oh, that's so wonderful. Six pages, and it, it's it's... Oh my goodness! I overuse the word beautiful, but it's bloody beautiful. <laughs> I have a question, uh, and maybe you possibly can't answer this. Are any of the characters that we're seeing in 
uh, I would say maybe 2029. I'm not really sure. Will they be seen in that series, Black Lotus? Is there any kind of connection with what you guys are doing with what they're doing? Oh, I see. Um, I'm not, I can't really talk about that. Okay. I figured as much. Uh, um, yeah, I just, I just can't really talk about that. Uh, I, that's it. I'm not going to be drawn. Stop drawing me. <laughs> uh, well, then I have a, another question. With uh, the world that is living in a pandemic and certainly things that are happening uh, in terms of our climate and the way things are going. And last year, there was the fires and whether it was in Australia or here in California, Blade Runner 2049 was really, it became, it started, it started its ascent into the current zeitgeist, the way the original is. It's very much something people are talking about. And I'm curious if, are you guys going to go to that future eventually and have stories set within, whether it's a story about K, I mean, I don't know if you guys want to be that, you know, that specific, but a story set within the world of 2049, as opposed to staying back in the past. Well, if you think about it, the, 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 um, we've done, 2009 2019 we're currently doing mm -hmm. 2029 mm -hmm. so there seems to be sort of this sense that every arc or every book is 10 years later on down the line so right. you could extrapolate from that that we are working our way towards 2049 and certainly there are elements that are from 2049 that are beginning to make their way into the comic now the little the little nods and winks to people so you're going to start seeing uh Nyanda wallace you know, uh, or certainly elements of Nyanda Wallace coming into it, you know, not necessarily uh, Wallace himself in the main story, but you might get mentions of him of him, and other characters mm -hmm. too from other films or other things might get mentioned in the comic as it goes along because this is all part of it. And that's the, that's the important thing is that Blade Runner 2009, 2019 and 2029, they're all canon. They're, everything that we're doing is canon. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of, it's not going to get um, reconned out and everything. It's not going to be just ignored. It's this is you know we're sticking true to to what's been established. So we are working our way. We could be working our way towards uh, twenty forty nine, but there's still twenty years to go. Mm -hmm. But it uh, is thrilling seeing that gradually getting threaded in as it yeah. comes along, seeing phrases show up, and seeing these sort of intimations mm -hmm. of things that we know from the film because these two movies are so disparate in time. You know, yes. just I mean from when they were made, but also from when they're set. That like like it's just seeing these these little particles start to coalesce is great, and it's a real big reason again why people should be reading these comics. And I have to say, if you're listening to the Blade Runner podcast and you're not reading the Blade Runner comics, uh, you should do that. Or this whole interview has been a spoiler for you. Yeah. But it really, it really does feel, you know, a lot of the time. And for example, you know, Alien is our other franchise that we have a show about together, and uh, you know, the Alien comics have been sort of all over the place through the years, and they've all there always have there's been many different concurrent titles going. And it's always been this issue of, well, they're technically canon, but like you have to kind of reconcile a lot of things to make it work. With these comics, it feels like just the films are sort of ongoing, and it's just a different corridor of the films that we're watching. That's excellent. And it's excellent. That's exactly perfect. Yeah, that, 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 that's brilliant because yeah, that's always been something we wanted to do. That, that, that yeah, the film. This is part of that same universe. But yeah, absolutely, you, you spot on with that. I mean, it's interesting talking about uh, about Alien because. Um, I was wondering how, what you guys think about um, that brilliant film Soldier, because I've always thought that that is part of the, of the Blade Runner universe. You know, that, that you look at Soldier and, and, and those are replicants. They're, those are humans being replaced by replicants. That's what I think. You know, it's sort of... And, and, it, and it's written by David Peoples. Eh? 
and written by David, David Peoples. Peoples. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it, I've, I've always heard that it started life off as a proposed sequel to Blade Runner. And then it became it became something else. I mean, it loses it at the end, but uh, but I, I still think it's it's a terrifically good fun film. So I find all this stuff. I mean, and also there's there's a, the obvious obvious thing that they, people always say that the Blade Runner and Alien are connected because of that one you know uh, 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 environment purge thing going on. Mm-hmm. But and also right. because because you've got things like a, an alien decal on one of the buildings and all sort of stuff. But I I, I, tend, I don't tend to necessarily believe that because that's just the art team just like giving a little nod to Ridley. Yeah, Ridley mm-hmm. gets a Ridley right. done. You know, right, and, right. <laughs> and then all the fans go, oh my God, look, those two universes are linked. And it's like, well, not necessarily, you know. Right, an Easter egg does not always make a, a huge connection across yeah. worlds. Yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely. I had, a, I had a really, really quick one that I forgot to ask you, but I think this comes up a lot in our discussions and fans ask this a lot. And uh, you don't have to get into specifics, but just generally, would it be off the table in any of these series or comics for us to see? Now, we've seen a little sl- glimpses of San Diego in the film 2049. We've seen Santa Barbara in 2019 comic. We've seen um, a little bit of the off-world colony. Is it possible or is it off the table that you would ever set a story in, say, a New York or Rome or Singapore or somewhere that is not L.A. as like a main point for a story? Is that possible or is that completely just not a canonical thing? I'm just curious. Well, people do ask that. I'll answer I'll answer in this way. Okay, when you're a little boy and it was Christmas (laughs) time, okay, would you rather watch your parents wrap the presents and then unwrap them, or would you rather go down on Christmas morning and see a huge pile and not know what was there? What would you prefer? Certainly the uh, second option. <laughs> <laughs> Since that's your answer, I couldn't possibly answer your question because I wouldn't Fair want to enough. spoil that lovely thrill you'll have one Christmas morning when you rip open and you find what you're asking about. <laughs> I love that answer. That's a great answer. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we're just about at time. Uh, and I, I want to just thank you so much, David, for for being on the show. I want to thank you so much for just giving us so much to talk about and read and engage on and for giving fandom this continuing lifeblood over these last couple of years. I have to say, you know, this has come up on the show before, but during the earlier days of the pandemic, when it really felt like everything had just ground to a halt, uh, there was this weird feeling of like, we're kind of running out of things to talk about. We don't have this sort of energy anymore to kind of re-engage with this stuff. It's like, what's the point? But I have to say, like with the comics, it never the comics for a lot of us have been little lifelines throughout this whole thing to, you know, engage with and to send to each other. I know I, I personally have sent the comics to people, family members who are into Blade Runner, just as little surprises in the mail. It's one of these things that I feel like has, has been a, a real great unifying force for fandom in these difficult, you know, days that we are living through. Uh, and seeing echoes of that in the comics has been so interesting to me too. There's a, a moment in Origins, I think in the first issue that has really stuck with me where uh, they're talking about air quality and they're saying, you know, there's a mask warning, you got to put your mask on. And these little things, you know, we're going to look back on these days someday and, and, and see how, whether it's intentional or not, what we're living through is filtering into the artwork and mm-hmm. into the stories that we're, you know, enjoying. And so uh, in closing, I want to um, just thank you. And I want to ask to you, uh, like, what, what do you think are the stories that will come out of this someday? And is this affecting Blade Runner at all? Well, the COVID. world that we're living through. Do, do, yeah. do I think COVID will affect Blade Runner? Um, I hope, I, I, I hope not to be honest. I mean, I think, I think that, I think that I read a, I read a really funny thing. Uh, I read a Doctor Who gag. Uh, um, it was just, it's a very quick one. It was, it was, um, 
uh, Doctor Who talking to one of his assistants uh, and um, him saying, well, I'll take you home now. Where do you want to go back to? And she says, I want to go back to 2019. And he goes, no, I'll take you back to 2022. She goes, no, no, I, I come from 2000. I want to go back. He goes, no, trust me, you really don't. And I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, I think that that's what sort of I don't, you know, I mean, we've all, all four of us, we've, we're, we've lived through something which, which hasn't happened for a hundred years where, where a, a pandemic has, has ravaged the world. We're very lucky that, that, that the death, death score score so that's a terrible thing to say but you know what i mean the, the death count has been so low you know i mean covid's terrible it, 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 it's it's a horrible thing and I, one of the things that i found over here in the uk um, all our shops opened again at the weekend you know and uh, so i i went out for the first time in 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 ages and i went to, to our local bookshop and i walked in and all these books things are called like lockdown and all this sort of stuff and it's all about living through covid and then there's apparently Literally weeks after the first lockdown a year ago, there were uh, all of the publishers, not all the publishers, but many publishers were inundated with novels set in lockdown, in all this sort of stuff. And, and I can't help thinking that, that, that <laughs> who wants to read it? Jesus, we've all lived through this horrific <laughs> pandemic, okay? I've been stuck indoors for, for, for Christ almighty since, since January last year. I don't want to read bloody books about it. I just, you know, I can't wait to forget <laughs> about this. I can't wait to sort of, you know, just not think about it. And and that's the great thing. It's, it's going to come in the same way that that that, that if it, and it, this is wonderful. This occurred to me today, and I hope I don't offend anybody. <laughs> We're not talking about Trump anymore. That's delightful, you know. <laughs> I'm not waking up anymore and having to think what has that lunatic done now. We're forgetting about him. I can't wait for one for, for when the news doesn't talk about covid as its first second and third main features wouldn't it be great when 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 we're we're learning about which which politicians had sex with somebody you know wouldn't it be wonderful <laughs> happened when we're not when we're not always thinking about covid so i hope that covid doesn't become part of this because if we do it now it's going to be sort of referencing backwards whereas the thing about blade runner you, you talked about the mask the funny thing about that, that mask sequence is that was written before covid that's the weird thing, you know, and it, it, it's interesting that you picked up on it because it seems to resonate now, and that's very true. But the funny thing about the mask thing was, is it, it was the idea of how do we get across the idea that pollution has become a real problem in Los Angeles, right, right. And, and how would they how would they talk about it? And we we did discuss that as as would they be blatant and say, oh, you know, the 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 um, the lead level, or whatever. And it was like, no, let's just talk about let's talk about it in a roundabout way. Let's not be specific. So I, I hope that we don't we don't reference it that directly because. Um, I think if we did that, it, it would also, in a strange way, data comic. It, it, it would, it would mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. make it about COVID. It, it would suddenly make it um, prescient, and I don't think that would actually work with it. So um, I think I'm, <laughs> I think what I'm going to say is no. Let's not sit COVID into it. Let's not. Well, in that case, here's to many bike rides to work to come, and uh, <laughs> many many late nights hanging out together in person, watching movies without masks on again, and oh, be moving past this, and you know, enjoying yeah. sci-fi on its own terms for yeah. many many more, many more years to come. Thank you so much, David, for being here. Yes, oh, my thank pleasure. you so I really much. Enjoyed it, and always happy thank to you, talk David. about Blade Runner, guys. But my pleasure. Yeah. So yeah. let's do this again soon. Yeah, congratulations terrific. on your success. The projects yeah, are really amazing, and we're really loving it. I'm I'm so glad. I mean, the, 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 I mean, last time I was, you know, I was I was when we first spoke a year ago. I was really, or two years ago, I was really worried about it. I kept thinking, oh my god, this is going to, and it, it's so. I was can't tell you how relieved I was to see that you guys and the readers just seem to get what we're doing. It, it means the world to us all, you know. So thank you ever so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks, David. Have a great thank time. You. Thanks, you thanks, guys. Thank you guys. Take care. Bye.
If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.